A um, couple of quick announcements. Just to remind you guys, uh, Wednesday is our day that we uh, fast for our community and fast for our church and for our families. And so... Uh, Keep that in your heart and mind on Wednesday if you can participate with us in that. And then also on Wednesday night at 6.30, men will be meeting for prayer at the, the pantry building so we can um, continue that fast and pray together um, as the body of Christ. This morning, just briefly, I have a short message this morning and we're going to get right into communion. But I've called this message this morning, Spiritual Diagnostics. How well are things operating within you spiritually? The diagnostic goes in and checks to make sure everything is operating properly to the optimum performance. Once in a while we should go in and do a spiritual diagnostic of our lives. How is everything, how am I operating in Christ? The word diagnostic comes from a Greek word, diagnostikos. It means able to distinguish. And I think that's this morning what we need to be able to do is spiritually discern what's going on in our own lives. Because a lot of times we think we're okay, but we need the Holy Spirit to come in and show us, reveal to us what's really going on in that inner dimension. Spiritually, I may be able to discern my own heart, which will deceive me. The goal this morning is not to grade yourself to feel poorly about how things are going. Because your spiritual goal is the ultimate goal. Your spiritual growth. I have blind spots. Those areas that I cannot see. The diagnostic looks in the crevices and literally checks every file for corruption in our lives. Spiritual health is ultimately connected to our physical, emotional, financial, and psychological health. Who we are made up of. Because we're made up of a body, which is physical. A soul, which is that character, that personality, the really of who I am. And a spirit that is in the unseen realm. So the questions today for the spiritual diagnostic are this. First of all, am I ruthless about attacking sin in my life? Or do I overlook areas of weakness and conclude that's just the way I am? Paul said it like this in Galatians 5.24. He said, for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. See, crucifixion was a ruthless death, a slow, slow, painful, agonizing death, literally pinning self to the cross. Are you dabbling this morning in an area of sin? Do you meditate? Does your mind meander to a place that it doesn't belong? The New, New, New Living Translation of this scripture says it like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. If I'm not ruthless about my sin in my life, the enemy can creep in. I was talking to somebody this week, we were talking about the spiritual realm. And I was thinking about that, and we were talking about how doors are open. We don't just automatically get, um, a, a, you know, the, the spiritual realm isn't just automatically open to us unless we open the door. We open the door to the Holy Spirit by inviting Him in, inviting His presence into our life, living holy lives. That gives the Holy Spirit that free reign in our life. The other side of that, though, is this. If we open sin doors, or we leave sin doors open, it leaves an opening for the enemy to come in, and he can begin to wreak chaos in our life. This diagnostic, the spiritual diagnostic, is that place that goes in and finds those corrupted files, finds those things within our lives that need to be removed. So that we can operate properly. Don't clog up our lives. Pastor Mike used to say it like this. I love it. He said, we need to have a ruthless attitude about 
our sin, not others' sin, our sin, because we love others. That's the reality. I'm not looking at your sin. I have to look at my own. He says, be ruthless against that. Don't be ruthless about other people's sin. Be ruthless about your own sin. Some of us have treated our sin lightly. And the enemy has come back and been able to devour because we've maybe opened doors that we weren't ready for. This morning, I want there's a caution in all of this. I want you to be gentle with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. This spiritual diagnostic is more than an occasion to beat yourself up. All the ways that you've fallen short or you sin and find yourself in this place of judging yourself. Strive for a clear-eyed assessment of your choices, actions, and consequences. And ditch the temptation to indulge in guilt, shame, and self-pity. The diagnostic is not meant to shut the machine down, but it is meant to clear the clutter. Remove the files that are slowing down the performance in our life. Find the area that is clogging our spiritual performance. Repentance is the best remedy. Repentance is the defragging. I'm ruthless with sin in my life. My attitudes, I want to crucify that character that keeps raising its ugly head within our, in my relationship. I confess it. I repent of it. That's how we begin this process. I believe that this is one of those characteristics that we have to ask ourselves. Am I ruthless about how I attack sin in my life or do I just kind of let it go along? The second thing is, is my heart for the lost. Do I mourn over the lost? When I keep my eyes fixed on eternal things, heaven and hell, I won't get caught up in all the physical things around me. I don't consider, if I don't consider the heart for the lost, I must call my salvation even into question. I know this isn't something easy for us, but am I praying for my lost family? Am I praying for my lost community? Or have I become numb to it all? One man said, if, if the God that you say in hell is as bad as you say it is, I would walk a mile on glass to see someone saved. How far will we go? Sometimes I won't even get up off the couch. Turn off the TV. See, God's saying, how far will you go? Do you believe that hell is hot and eternal? We've been desensitized to hell. We don't talk about it. We don't preach about it. We're afraid we may offend somebody because if we even mention the word hell or blood, that would also that could offend somebody and would turn them off from Christ. Paul was so grieved about it in Romans 9.2. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart over the lost. He carried a burden on his heart that kept him praying, begging God for 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 them to turn their way to back to salvation, to Jesus Christ. It burdened him to confront the Jews. It kept, it kept upsetting them, kept it compelling them that they would be born again. A burden this morning is this. Is a motivation, a pull, or a push against us that gets us to do what doesn't come naturally. More than that, it is a, having a heart that is broken over the lostness of people's souls. It's caring for people's souls. Sit this morning, you go, well, man, I don't have that. I don't have that burning. Then maybe, you know, what we need to do is push ourselves, put ourselves in the position where we begin to pray and we begin to see things eternally. And when we see that those that are lost around us, that there's an eternal hell that they're going to be spent eternity in, that should change our heart. It should motivate us. People today care more about their pets and the climate and endangered species than they care about the people's eternal, never ending souls. The challenge is to come overcome the spiritual apathy, our spiritual pride and fear, and basically overcome that lack of care for people's souls. 
Jesus was burdened. He was grieved. He was brokenhearted for the lost. We need to keep that within our hearts. The third thing is this. Am I following the spiritual disciplines in my life? I've narrowed it down to four things. I call these like the four spiritual basic food groups. They are these. Do I devour the Word? Am I diligently seeking? Am I persistent in my prayer? And am I radically obedient? Those four things, Scott told me, I can call those actually a formula. Because if you do those things, if he said it's okay, then it must be. Devouring the Word. Diligently seeking. See, these things here, First, it puts God first in all things. It's praying continually without ceasing. It's that radical obedience, not to be saved because I am saved. See, I don't work for salvation. I work from salvation. None of these things make me saved. I am saved by my faith in Christ alone. But these spiritual disciplines keep my faith hot and stirred. Just like a fire has to be stoked at times. You've got to throw new logs on. So these things in our lives, if we don't, if we're not careful, we can continually forget to stir the heart within us. Am I following these disciplines? The next thing, the fourth thing is, are my intentions, are my good intentions enough? Will I really be able to stand before the Almighty and say, I had good intentions of doing these things, God? But I just didn't do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We hear that all the time. In fact, I remember growing up thinking that it seems to be a justifying way of excusing our failure. Politely blaming something else because that's just who I am. But when Christ said these words, this was not his entire point. When he said this in Matthew 26, 41, he says, watch and pray. Remember, he had, he had just had communion with his disciples. He said, would you guys go with me to Gethsemane and I'm going to pray there. And he said, come watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew that they needed to watch and pray. And the word pray there is in the continuance. It means continually praying so that you will not fall into temptation. The flesh is your own ability to deal with the trials of life. It's part of what, you, what, what makes you want to fall asleep while your master is crying tears of blood. We should let this scripture divine our values. We should, we should define our goals and plans with wisdom and the wisdom found in the Word of God. Don't shy away from motivating yourself and creating a driving spirit. Don't procrastinate. Be deliberate. Be intentional. Pray because good intentions aren't enough. Let God be in you. Be the driving force of your life. God has given us all that we need. He says it in 2 Peter 1.3. God's power, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. The Amplified Bible, which is the real Bible, according to Scott, says, For His divine power has bestowed upon us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And he goes on to say in the very next verse, he says He's given us everything, and then he says this, Through these things He has given us the very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
How foolish I am going to feel one day, knowing the God that spoke this world into existence. He prepared for me a place. He's given me a place. He has given me all of His, even His very divine nature for me to live this life out. And how foolish I'm going to feel one day when I stand before Him. He says, listen, I gave you all this. And what did you do with it? I want to spur you this morning to go further than you thought possible. Not to give up. Keith was a coach for years. He played football in high school and in college. He tells me a lot of times, he says, when you're preaching a message like this, I just want to jump up. I want to say, yes, let's go. Let's attack. We can do this. And that's what I want to be telling you this morning. Yes, you can do this. God has given you everything you need to be able to walk this life out, to be victorious. He gives us a position of victory, and we march from that place, not from a place of gloom and doom. He says, listen, you're victorious because I'm victorious. My resurrecting power is alive in you. He said it like this in Luke 24, 48. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Every Sunday this month, I'm going to mention this power from on high. Clothing, being baptized with His fire. Why? Because at the end of this month, on the last Sunday night of this month, on the 30th, we're going to have a night service, a baptism by fire service. Pastor Mark's church is going to join us. We're just going to tarry before, the God, before God. We're going to wait on Him. We're going to worship Him. And we're going to ask Him to clothe us with this power. See, sometimes we get in this place where, well, I've already, I, if, the Bible says that He's already here, so His presence is with me. Yeah, but Jesus said, listen, you need to be clothed with power. You need a dynamic power within your life that will change the way you live, that will cause you to be able to live differently than the world's living. He has given us, He's imparted us all these things. And it is this cooperative effort. Am I walking in step with the Spirit? Is another diagnostic. In step with the Spirit, that cooperative effort, that grace-driven effort, the Holy Spirit-empowered service for a righteous living that my life can match the status that Jesus has given me. Chris talked about it on Wednesday night. He talked about that it is faith in Christ alone that makes us righteous. It is. It is His faith that saves us alone. It is. But I want you to know today, He says that you can walk in that same glory as I did. That righteousness that I've imparted to you, now you can walk in the physical realm that can match that by this cooperation with the Holy Spirit. This grace-driven effort. It's not enough that I just receive it and say, okay, thank you, God. That's all. He says, no, listen, what you can do is you can live this life out and your life can match the righteousness that I've imparted to you. I've given it to you freely. Now walk Walk in that. Are you tired of fending off temptation in the world, the flesh, the devil, in your own strength? Are you, are you tired of not learning the secret that the disciples had to learn? A continual dependence on the Holy Spirit who gives us both the will and the power to keep watching and praying when Jesus is sweating drops of blood. The last thing is this. Do I walk in wellness of my entire being? Am I resolved, resilient, remaining steadfast? We'll demonstrate what we have is real. That's the reality of this. Is that people need to see that what we have is real. That it's not like everybody else. You know what? We've seen those phonies. We've seen people who've drifted off. But he says, listen, those who are resilient, those who remain steadfast in me, 
In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, sir, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I've read this scripture to you over and over, but I want you to see today, there's a crowd of, of witnesses, Moses, those that have gone before us, the Elijahs, they're agonists, say, you can make it, you can keep going. They're watching and saying, listen, don't give up, don't quit, keep moving forward. I will give you the power, I'll give you the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere till the end. Sometimes all we can do is is see what's going on around us. We're spent. We want to just give up. We say, it seems as though I want to slow down. I just, I can't keep moving forward. God says, listen, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Because with perseverance, that race is marked out for us. You will get tired at times. You will have those down moments. But we are being coaxed by those who've gone on before us, saying, yes, you can. You can make it. Don't give up. There's a show that Connie and I watch. It's a a reality show. It's called Alone. They send you to different places all over the world, and they just got back from Patagonia. And the man who won this this year, he I can't remember how many days he was there alone, 70 days or something like that. But I remember the most recent winner, what he said. He said when he won, he says, I couldn't quit. And, I, and he was, he was a, a man that, that didn't make very much money. He needed the money. I think he win like a half a million dollars. And it was so important that he would, would win this. And he said that the thing that kept me going was knowing that my wife is at home and she can't quit on the kids. She can't just say, I'm tired and I give up. I can't just say, I'm done with it. He said, that's what kept me going is because I knew that she couldn't quit, so I couldn't quit either. I was going to go till it, it actually drug me to death if it meant that. It reminds me of Jesus saying, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer in Hebrews 12.2, the perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. It's interesting that this word here, fixing our eyes, literally means to turn, look away from everything else and to fix our gaze upon something. When he says fix it, he's saying, listen, I want you to look away from everything else. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross. You can make it. Jesus said this before he went to the cross. In Luke 9.51, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The word resolutely there in some translations says steadfastly set. But it means that just exactly that. To stand supported, to be secure, firmly established, solidly planted, which eliminates vacillation. He's saying that's how you have to fix your eyes. I had to fix my eyes. Jesus had to fix his eyes on the cross. He knew what was coming. Because this was going to be a difficult. It says this in Hebrews the third chat, twelve three. Consider whom, him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Those two words there, the grow weary and losing heart. Those two words mean to be to the point of actually spent, ready to collapse. The other word means to actually become uh, so exhausted that you'll faint, losing heart. And have you this morning strive to the point? In your struggle against sin to the point of shedding blood. There is no understanding of the good news without a full understanding 
of the bad news of what Christ did for us and that I was ultimately lost and I needed Him. Can I improve my marriage today? Yes. Can I improve my walk with Him? Yes. This is the spiritual diagnostic that I want for all of us. When we think and we understand the greatness of God, His immeasurable splendor, how foolish we will feel. And He says, listen, I've given you everything you need to, to, to live this life out and what did you do with it? Part of the spiritual diagnostic is what we do here with communion. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? That same word is used when we talk about communion in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Everyone ought to examine themselves thoroughly, scrutinize, before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. This morning... I want you to know that before we partake of communion, there is a solemn time that we should come before us and we should actually say, God, do a diagnostic on me. If you need to defrag all that garbage out, move it out. Put me in a position where I'm operating at ultimate performance, that my life is not all clogged up by these other things. This morning as we close, I have a song We're going to sing, and then as the song is playing this morning, I'm going to invite you, just take a moment right now before we do this, and make a line and come around and go ahead and and grab the elements, and then you can have a seat. But just take this moment during this song while you're even in line. Just examine your heart and say, God, what is it in me that needs to be checked?